This podcast is brought to you by DIA, the trusted global neutral forum for healthcare product development professionals. DIA, driving insights to action. In July 2022, the Executive Council of the African Union announced that Rwanda had been selected to host the inaugural headquarters of the African Medicines Agency, or AMA, which was formally established after the minimum number of 15 ratifications by African Union countries was reached in November 2021. As of November 2022, 20 of the possible 55 African Union countries have ratified and deposited their agreement. 10 countries have signed but not yet ratified their agreement. Three have ratified but not yet deposited their agreement. In 22 countries have not signed, ratified, or deposited their agreement. I am Alberto Grignolo, Editor-in-Chief of the IA Global Forum. In February 2022, the European Union announced that the European Commission, the European Medicines Agency, EMA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and several EU member states would mobilize more than 100 million euros over the next five years to support the AMA and other African medicines regulatory initiatives at regional and national levels. Today, we welcome two expert perspectives on this international collaboration. David Mukanga, Deputy Director for Africa Regulatory Systems at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Regional Editor for Africa for our DIA Global Forum. Welcome, David. Thank you, Alberto, for having me. It's a pleasure to always be part of the DIA family. And the European Medicines Agency's Head of International Affairs, Martin Harvey Altchurch. Martin, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to join. Thank you. David, I'll direct my first questions to you. Would you please describe the purpose and likely structure of the African Medicines Agency? The African continent, as you know, over the last couple of years, led by the Africa Union Commission, have come together to define the armor and begin to put it together. In our conversations with our Africa colleagues who we're working behind to support their vision of the AMA, the idea really is to use the AMA as a platform that will further advance the capacities of the African continent to regulate medical products as a collective. The AMA will not necessarily do all the work, but it's being seen as a platform through which member state regulatory authorities Regulators at the regional level, those regional platforms can work together, leveraging the expertise from across the continent that's quite limited to work together to regulate medical products. So some of that would be at the AMA level where some products will be assessed or regulatory activities undertaken at the AMA level, while others will be at the regional or the national level. So it's a network approach to the regulation of medical products on the continent. That's the objective of the AMA. And what is the likely structure of the agency? The way the AMA is being structured has been very clearly defined in the AMA treaty. So at the very top of it, to look at it from the top, is you have what they call the Conference of the State Parties, who are the ministers of health of the AMA ratified countries. That's the top policy organ. And I think that's important because at that political level, you can mobilize country support, you can mobilize resources, etc. Then at just below the conference of the parties is a governing board. So AMA will have a nine-member governing board 
of which five are heads of regulatory agencies selected one each from the five regions. And then there are four other members, including one seat from the Africa Union Commission, making up the nine. That's really the body that will drive the AMA, uh, setting up the policies, hiring staff, overseeing the running of AMA. But on a day-to-day basis, they will be assisted by a director general who will do the day-to-day running of the AMA with a secretariat. So a conference of the parties at the very top, you have a governing board that sets the direction and works with, with the DG, the director general, to run the AMA with the secretariat. And then below that, very importantly, are these technical committees that will do the work. Those technical committees will be constituted of experts from the member states across the continent. Whether those are assessors or inspection technical committees, they will do the standard setting, they will do the actual work. And a lot of those have actually been set up in the last few years through the African Medicines Regulatory Harmonization. So the expectation is some of these committees will transform and become committees of the AMA and really help the continent, whether it's standard setting or actually coordinating and doing the work and then making their recommendations to the DG and the governing board. Is it correct to say that the director general of the AMA will be analogous in some way to heads of agencies around the world? Similar role? I would agree with you, Alberto. So the director general will do the day-to-day running there will be the equivalent of heads of agency at national level or the CEO of the EMA or director general of the EMA. So an equivalent. And how will the director general be selected? Will it be will the person be appointed by the governing board, for example, or is there going to be a different mechanism? In fact, the conference of the parties met recently at the beginning of November. And we understand that they looked at the terms of reference or developed the terms of reference of the director general. It's the conference of the parties who sets the terms of performance, the terms of service of the director general, the compensation package, etc. But it is the governing board that will elect the director general. So we understand there's going to be a process put in motion early next year, once the governing board is in place, then they will move forward to recruit a director general. That's the governing board. And certainly all of this is work that is led by the Africa Union Commission, owned and driven by the commission. You mentioned five regions. Could you please list those five regions for us? The way the Africa Union Commission organizes itself is it has structured the continent into five regions. There is the Southern Africa region, There is the Central Africa region, the Eastern Africa, the West Africa, and the North Africa or the Maghreb. Those are the five regions of the continent. And so each of those, they have defined a process, the commission and the conference of the state parties in terms of how the five regions will put forward their nominees for the governing board. The parties will meet to make the the final decision. That leads me to my second question, and that is, how many African countries will be under the jurisdiction of this new agency? I ask that because the African Union comprises 55 countries and 33 have ratified the agreement, but 22 have not. And so of the 55, understanding 33 is a majority, will all 55 be under that jurisdiction? So the continent, you're absolutely right, has 55 countries By and large, all those countries are member states, they're members of the Africa Union. Now, 
when the treaty of the AMA was endorsed in 2019, that was endorsed by the heads of state. At the head of state level, they said, look, this is something that we're supportive of. We would like the continent to have an Africa Medicines Agency. we clear on the mandate. But because of the way the AMA is being set up, it's being set up as a treaty-based organization. And that gives it a fair level of independence or autonomy from the commission. Now, to set up a treaty-based organization, you need to not just get the blessing of the heads of state, you need each of the parliaments in the countries to ratify the treaty. And so that is the process that has been followed. The first step normally is a country's foreign affairs ministry or foreign secretary's department will sign the treaty. And then they will table that in parliament. Fact is, something countries have signed the AMA treaty It's the foreign office generally that will have signed it. They then sponsor the treaty and take it to parliament. And it's the parliaments that ratify. The last number that I have is that 23 countries have ratified. That means 23 parliaments have ratified. But there are just about 30 countries or slightly over that have signed the treaty. In in other words, expressing their intent to move forward and ratify. The hope is that as we move along, All the countries will sign and ratify the treaty, but it may take a bit of time before the whole continent has signed and ratified ratified the treaty. But in some of the conversations that we've listened into member states talking about those that have ratified and those that haven't, the desire, at least from the regulatory agencies, is that they all try to work together, even though, of course, those that have not yet ratified at a certain point, for example, they won't be able to be represented on the governing board. If your country has not ratified, there will be certain rights and privileges that the ratified countries will have as compared to the non-ratified. But the aspiration is that AMA will serve the whole continent and that eventually all the member states will ratify. But an individual country is free to not be under the jurisdiction of the agency. They may refuse to ratify the treaty and be essentially left out of that jurisdiction. Is that correct? That's correct. You're absolutely right. That's the sovereign right of the country. Are all African nations members of the AU? They are. There have been a case of one or so that has pulled out from time to time and come back. I'll not mention the name, but my understanding is all 55 are members of the Africa Union. Thank you. Are there any other regional regulatory harmonization initiatives underway in Africa? And if so, how might the new agency align with those? This idea of regulatory harmonization on the African continent goes way back to 2009 when the continent said, look, our regulatory systems are so fragmented, we need to begin to work together to bring the regions together, to work together, drive harmonization at that level. So in 2012, the East Africa community was the first that started bringing their countries in that economic block together, and they set up a harmonization initiative. Subsequently, the others have Southern Africa, West Africa, Central Africa, the Horn of Africa, etc. I think it's largely North Africa that has a little bit been left behind. So many of these have been working together. It's really work sharing. First of all, trying to harmonize their regulatory standards and processes, taking what ICH has developed, what WHO has developed, and adapting that for their regions and saying, look, we want to work within international best practices. And then beginning to do some work sharing together, doing some inspections jointly, doing some assessment of products together, 
And there have been quite some success in terms of countries working together and, and actually sharing their expertise in, this, in these regions. So those regional initiatives are really a good foundation for AMA because they've built quite a bit of trust within their countries. They understand that you can actually work together and leverage the talent that you have in the region and the opinions or the recommendations at that level, those that have been adopted at the country level, it will not be new when AMA begins to execute on its work. David, you are a close observer of the situation across Africa. Do you have any sense as to whether these regional harmonization initiatives might somehow overlap with or even clash with what the agency will attempt to do? Will all of this be very helpful to the overall agency initiative, or could there be some territoriality, some unwillingness to cooperate? Any dangers lurking out there? Thanks, Alberto. So in terms of whether there could be overlaps, I agree with you that that's a risk. There could potentially be some duplication and, and redundancies and overlaps. The leadership on the African continent from the Africa Union Commission, Audenepa, WHO, the member states, I think they're very clear and aware of this. And what they are saying is that there will be a very clear division of labor between the AMA, the regions, and the national. For example, in terms of standard setting, AMA and its technical committees will likely do that on behalf of the continent. So you have one, one way of having a set of standards that then get adopted at the region, at the national level. Then in terms of undertaking certain regulatory functions, you know, whether that is product assessment or inspections, et cetera, what is likely to happen is that AMA will do a small subset of products. We have had complex products, biologicals, vaccines, monoclonals, new chemical entities for a very small group of conditions, HIV, TB, malaria. That's it. And then the rest of it will be done at the regional. So, for example, generics, the bulk of generics at the national, maybe some of them at the regional, the vast majority of new chemical entities outside of that small group that AMA will do, likely at the regional and the national, the national level. So if the continent clearly articulates this division of work, it will mitigate that risk. That's very clear. Thank you, David. It, there seems to be an intent for everyone to cooperate and to not get into issues of territoriality or uh, not wanting to work closely with the, with the agency. And I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. Alberto, if you let me come Martin, in like this. I like, I like actually uh, ask a question to, I'm not sure, to you or to David. You've just been discussing there, regional harmonization and regulatory system. I'm actually really interested to see from a public health perspective how AMA will interact with the Africa CDC, because I think there is a huge potential to actually better align the public health needs and actually drive medicines regulation to meet the local, regional, continental health needs. So I think that's really interesting perspective and something certainly that I'll be keeping an eye on. David, do you have an answer for Martin? Martin makes a, a very, very good point. I mean, the Africa CDC is the first public health institution and AMA will be the second. And it will be a missed opportunity if these two institutions don't work hand in glove. As the Africa CDC defines, what are the public health priorities? Emergencies, for example. What are those emergencies? How can AMA support that, whether it is in clinical development of products of, for example, developing procedures that like emergency use, being 
very well coordinated with the Africa CDC will be very important. But also in the non-emergency situation, what are the public health priorities? And I think that's where they made an attempt to say perhaps it's HIV, TB, malaria, etc. I agree with Martin 100% that these two institutions will have to talk to each other and work very closely together. And even the Africa CDC in terms of policy setting, I think they can play a very critical role in terms of policies around utilization of innovations, drugs, therapeutics, vaccines for, for the continent. And so both sides would be very supportive of each other in terms of advancing public health on the continent. Martin, do you agree with that or did you have a different angle to, to I think that that's question? I think that's that's the sort of thing I was really hoping to hear you say. But I think there's also a temptation. We need to think not just of the usual TB, malaria, HIV, but also look at some of the non-communicable diseases. I think we're seeing a, an evolution in the epidemiology and, uh, and disease burden across the continent. As AMA goes forward, I think we need to be keeping an eye that the AMA and the sorts of products that will go to AMA actually match the disease burden that we're seeing developing across the continent and preempt it, anticipate it. Well, speaking of products going to AMA, uh, David, practically speaking, when can anyone expect the agency to be operational? Understanding that a new agency needs time to get organized, to get the governing board in place, uh, find the, the director general. So when realistically can people around the world expect to start working in practice with AMA, uh, with specific products, applications, etc.? It's a very good question. The AMA board will set those expectations. And I think what we understand is that by the end of quarter one of next year or the end of January of next year even, that the inaugural board of the AMA will be in place. And I think at that point, they will really set the tone in terms of a very clear roadmap. For me to to indicate that, I think would just be uh, estimates, but I think there will be best place, as you put it, they have to put the house in order. There is ongoing work in terms of attempting to develop a set of options that they can look at in terms of whether they are procedures or business processes. And this is the work that the AMRH technical committees are undertaking so that the board and the DG will have a set of options to look at and decide if they want to use any of those. But the intent is to help accelerate that process. Hopefully that will help them to move much more quickly so that perhaps... uh, by the beginning of 24 or the middle of 24, they are ready to begin to to undertake some of these activities. And again, this is where Martin and the colleagues at the EMA could be very, very helpful in terms of experience sharing with, with the AMA because the scope of AMA is large. When you look at the treaty, it's all medical products. Now, the, the, the other question is, how much do you take on over time? What can you do at the beginning so that you are able to demonstrate success very early on? You are able to deliver given the, the bandwidth that you have as an armor rather than attempting to do everything at a go. And I think that will be the task that the governing board and the DG will have. The experiences and lessons from the EMA could come in very handy here. Just quickly, David, before I move to Martin, who's been waiting patiently, has the agency begun to hire staff? I mean, it'll have to have a number of staff, although it might rely on staff and experts in the member countries. But has the AMA started hiring anybody? Not to my knowledge. What I understand and what we've had is the commission has begun to define a structure and the job descriptions of the secretariat. They have discussed this with the conference of the state parties. But again, at the end of the day, it will have to be the governing board that will recruit. 
until there is a governing board in place, I do not anticipate that there will be any positions filled until then. Thanks, David. Very clear. Martin, let me turn to you for your perspective. And fundamentally, what was the European Medicines Agency primary motivation for supporting the establishment and operations of a regional regulatory authority on a different continent, in this case, specifically the African Medicines Agency? Does Zima participate in emerging regulatory initiatives elsewhere in the world? So give us a little background of the involvement of the agency. Of course, our principal mandate is public and animal health in the European Union. But over the years, we have, we've been very clear that we are also committed to supporting global health initiatives. And I suppose at its most basic, our founding legislation, going back to 1993, sets out specific tasks for cooperation with WHO, international uh, harmonization organizations, and various other global health activities. So there is a, a legal obligation to do so. But I suppose on a more policy political level, the EU pharmaceutical strategy talks about engaging with international regulatory partners. So it's very much part of the, the EU policy agenda. And for those of you who follow these things, the European Commission announced recently that I think it's only for the second time we can expect an EU global health strategy in the next months. And that will set out at the level of the EU what we are expecting to be doing in terms of global health. And my understanding is that it will include ex explicit language about the EMA's global health role in terms of promoting our cooperation and reliance with other agencies. We believe in this global health mission. It's part of what we try to do. It's not just about what EMA wants to do. I think a lot of what we are doing, it's actually responding to requests from partners. So David was just talking about the EMA is the experience and what people can learn from us. I think it's really important, particularly for AMA, that we don't set ourselves up as being a model for AMA. I try to resist that because it's almost like this is what they do in Europe. Let's pick it up, transport it, and, and, and put it in, in Kigali. That's not the mental model I have at all. I just think it, the, what we do at the EMA and the wider European Medicines Regulatory Network is not so much a model but an example of what can be done. And our colleagues and counterparts in Africa, they can take what they feel works for them and meets their own needs. For me, it's really important. There is a sense of ownership, that it's not something they, are, they just are imposed, imposed on, but they actually take from the examples around the world and they do with it something that makes sense for them on the continent. So on the one hand, the European model is one that has worked well for Europe for a long number yeah. of years. Uh, on the other hand, it is one model that can be considered by the African Medicines Agency, certainly not a requirement. It's um, something for consideration. And exactly. More. Exactly. It's a thought piece. It's an example. There are all sorts of things, reasons why it's worked in one way in Europe and would not necessarily work that way in Africa. But of course, it's not just Africa we're talking about. There are also, you'll be more than the listeners to the podcast will be very aware of all sorts of activities going on in Latin America. And there has always been talk about Southeast Asia, but, but so, simply in terms of regulatory cooperation. In this work, I'm not offering EMA as the model, I'm offering it as an example that we are happy to share. And the sorts of things that we will be putting on the table will be about what have we learned about pooling resources? What have we learned about coordinating work to regulate medicines efficiently and effectively? All the sorts of things that David has just been talking about. And other things that we, we want to put on the table about how do you interact with patients? How do you interact with healthcare professionals, with the pharmaceutical industry, with the governments? How do you get the standards 
use the best available expertise? How do we reduce administrative burdens? In any region, you have these administrative requirements and burdens between countries. So how do you break those down? How do you smooth things? And how do you actually allow medicines to reach patients faster? There's real money being put on the table on this. As I mentioned at the outset, 100 million euros will go to the agency in Africa, part of it from the European Commission, another part from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, another part from several EU member states. What is the expectation of these donors as to how this money will be used? Are there any strings attached? Oh, gosh, that's a whole other podcast, my friend. David actually probably may know the details a bit better. Part of the money will go to the, the World Health Organization and the work that they are doing in terms of regulatory system strengthening. Part of the money will go to the, the Auden NAPAD, that's the African Union Development Agency, which is the, the cellule of, the, of what will hopefully become the, the AMA Secretariat to help them function. And specifically, there will be an envelope of money that will come to EMA that will then, we will then be able to use to coordinate the work of EU member states, national authorities in the outreach across the continent. We'll be working with AMA. How do they set up AMA? How do you do the nuts and bolts of setting up a regional cooperation agency? We'll also be working with the, the regional level and at the national level to build that wider capacity across the continent. Now, you said that you know, the European model will be just a model. On the other hand, money is going to reach the AMA and WHO, as you mentioned. So it sounds like there might be a degree of persuasion attached to those monies, maybe a degree of insistence to consider a particular model, given that money is being put on the table. Is there any potential tension there between allowing full independence yet investing, if you will? I'm not quite sure that that's the way I, I see it. Because remember, this is all working in parallel to what has been agreed at the level of the um, governments and institutions on the continent of Africa, but it runs parallel to what the World Health Organization is doing in terms of global benchmarking. And so all of the national agencies are trying to work to be benchmarked as maturity level they're targeting. Some of them are working to level one, some to level two, and we have a, a really important core group working to level three and beyond, hopefully one day. There are very specific frameworks in which we are all operating. It's not just that the Europeans marching in and saying, this is our model, implement it, and by the way, here's some money to make you do it. We have been investing and engaging with counterparts on the continent for a long time. This isn't a, this isn't a one-off exercise. Not just the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, EMA, many, many partners from around the world have been engaging and offering support and assistance to what we, what we see happening on the continent. Understood. Thank you for the clarification. Let me ask you, how, what kinds of non-monetary resources will these partners provide to help establish and operate the African Medicines Agency, aside from the money? David, please do step in. Just speaking from my, from my perspective, the money will be used to facilitate the sorts of things you're talking about. For me, what's really important is the human development. So how do we, we actually sit with counterparts that, that will be on the secretariats of AMA, sit down and think about what are the practical things you need to do? Have you thought about project management skills? Have you thought about the IT systems you need to exchange information across the continent? So I'm sure uh, listeners to the, uh, to the podcast will be sufficiently aware of what's been happening in the, the level of the EU with all the telematic systems. Well, we're scaling that up. What AMA is looking at is to scale that up across not just 27 member states, but 55 member states across the continent. 
So have they really thought about the, all the IT systems needed for it? So we'll sit down and share our experience. It's not monetary. It's not a monetary transaction. This is a peer-to-peer exercise of sharing experience. Now, this requires a number of resources in, uh, in Europe and elsewhere. I'm not aware that the European Medicines Agency is overstaffed uh, to the country, perhaps. So will you have enough resources? Thank you for the, for the adverts. I hope the, the responsible people are listening to you. What I'm talking about here actually is from the, the whole European Medicines Regulatory Network. So that is the right. whole network of, of EMA and the national agencies. We have a huge amount of, uh, of expertise that we, we can share. We, we have decades of experience of working together. And this, this collaboration, cooperation is in our DNA. How do we do that DNA transplant? Can I pick up on something that David said earlier on as well? He talks about trust. And I really, really want to emphasize that. A lot of the exercise will be how do we get the agencies to work together? How do we get the people who staff the agencies to work together and trust? One of the reasons the EU system works is because, for example, in the CHMP, you don't have 27 different evaluations. You have a rapporteur and a co-rapporteur, and there's reliance on their assessment by the committee. So how do we explain this and then see how this would work on the, in the African context? How do we get the assessors to trust each other. So we, we don't replicate, we don't have 54, 55 different assessments of medicines, but we can actually use the technical committees that David was, was outlining earlier on. How can we build trust? And that is a fundamental part of the business, that if we focus purely on the, on the regulatory aspects, we may miss. So how do we build that fundamental element of human trust? And make to it that work. End, yeah, to that end, Martin, will um, African regulators, for example, be invited to be present at CHMP meetings to observe how the 27 partners in Europe actually work together on the ground and leverage the trust that they have built over decades? That's an interesting prospect. We have done it once, by the way, quite a few years ago. We did actually have an informal meeting of the CHMP with a fairly large number of, of regulators from, uh, from African counterparts. I don't think we're going to see that happening en masse, but certainly where I can get CHMP member leadership to engage with their counterparts, then we will try to make that work. Alberto, if you you just allow me to just add a little bit to the very important points that Martin was making. As you were discussing there, I think the financial is certainly helpful and and important. The technical expertise will, will be helpful as the African colleagues determine what they need. What would be very, very important is in terms of experience sharing is to say, we tried this and in our context, it didn't work. Now, that may be useful information for the African colleagues. In terms of building our digital systems, we tried this and maybe the EMA was always getting it right the first time, but there may be instances where they they got something wrong or tweaked it until they go to the right answer. I think those experiences will also be very helpful for the African continent. Mm -hmm. And I think as as Martin says very clearly there, when we look to support the African continent, I think is to be respectful again. This is a baby of the African continent. The armor belongs to the continent and we, we only contribute to the extent that they feel we can be helpful and, and supportive. That too will be, will be very important as we engage with the continent. Understood in full respect of the integrity and jurisdictions that the African countries have legitimately. David, this past July, as I mentioned, Rwanda was selected as the host nation for the agency. 
Uh, you've already mentioned a number of practicalities surrounding this. Anything else you'd like to add in terms of what we may anticipate will happen next beyond what you've already told us? The selection of Rwanda is, is really exciting, frankly. Rwanda, we understand, put in a very strong bid is a great place to host the AMA in Kigali for many, many good reasons. One of the elements that we understand is that the commission has now entered into some kind of an MOU that clearly defines the responsibilities of the host country. They have provided a building, we told a, a fantastic uh, space where the AMA will be hosted, where its meetings will be conducted. They've provided space to expand if AMA needs to build a laboratory in the future, quality control laboratory. I mean, there will be other elements in these initial phase. I think the government of Rwanda can play a very powerful role in terms of advocacy. And, and mobilizing the rest of the continent. President Kagame has been a very powerful voice on the continent when he was chair of the AU just two, three years ago. He has a lot of respect across the continent and uh, his government and himself, I think, can play a critical role in mobilizing, first and most importantly, the continent, the member states to really be engaged around the AMA, including those that have not yet ratified. And then, of course, helping with the setup, the logistics and other things, making sure that the secretariat is set up well. They have the environment to function and operate. Rwanda is quite flexible in terms of travel there. The visas are much easier. You can get them on arrival. And I think those were some of the things that were very attractive to the commission in selecting Rwanda. Was the geographic location of Rwanda more or less centrally in Africa a consideration, making it relatively easy for other states to travel to and from Kigali? I think so. I think that too was a criteria, not just the geographical location, but perhaps more importantly, air travel into the country. So I think with the country having their own carrier, many others do. But I mean, that's one factor as well in terms of moving from all the five regions of the continent into Kigali. That just makes life much easier for the secretariat if they're organizing meetings and bringing experts or, or, or member states from across the continent, but also you know others who may be wanting to visit the AMA from outside the continent. What are some of the biggest challenges, David, that you expect AMA will face in the short term and medium term? Again, you've mentioned several already. Anything else uh, that you'd like to mention as a challenge facing the agency as it, as it is born? I will start, and, and Martin can definitely add from, from the European perspective. I think one we've already talked about, getting as many countries to ratify the AMA, having as many countries on the continent as part of AMA, enhances its value proposition in terms of its public health impact, economic impact, by improving access to medicines. Getting those ratifications as quickly as possible, I think, is one challenge. There's quite a bit of work that needs to be done in that space. But also within that subset, making sure that the strong agencies on the continent, not saying some, some NRAs are less important than others, that's not what I'm saying, but we, we, we are cognizant that if you look at the WHO benchmarking, as Martin mentioned, there are regulators at level one, level two, level three on the continent. You want to make sure that all the level threes are within AMA because you're leveraging that expertise to support the AMA. The expectation, and I think one of the challenges, is to really quickly get the South Africans of this world, the Nigerias of this world that have not yet ratified the AMA to do so, so that their expertise can be leveraged. I think that's one I would call low-hanging fruit challenge. 
The other one is leadership. And I think the ministers of health of the AMA ratified countries have done a great job to move very quickly with the commission. And our hope is that as they work together, a governing board and the DG, they've put a process in place. And that process, we believe, will deliver a strong leadership because leadership is important how that board is set up, the DG and so on, and the role that they play in advocacy, in making sure that the member states are involved in this, the process of, of setting up a new organization. Leadership is the currency that will be very, very important, far above money, far above mobilizing technical support, etc. That leadership will be critical. We hope that the fast governing board and the DG will be strong leaders that really set the tone and set up AMA for long, long term success and an institution that's truly African owned. And they get the member states to support it, not just with experts, but funding so that the additional resources coming from others like the foundation and the EMA is not the core, it's additive, but also there's a clear vision around sustainability, which would be the other one is to really set up a very clear sustainability plan that says in five, seven, maybe 10 years at the most. AMA is financially independent so that the board makes and, and the DG are not constrained by having to depend on others to run the operations of the AMA, but that it's truly independent and can hire the talent that it requires. It can undertake the activities that it needs to do to advance and promote public health on the continent. So I'll mention those three. Yeah, you mentioned challenges that are really opportunities to reach a, a very high level of performance. Uh, Martin, let's uh, close with you. Uh, obviously, European Medicines Agency once was new, but now it's well-established, well-seasoned, well-experienced. Martin, any comments you have uh, in these early days of the AMA? I, th I think I'm going to repeat everything that David has just said. So, I'll, I'll, But I think the trust, to summarize, it took us time to build trust. So the agency, yes, was created in 1995, but don't forget... It can trace its pedigree back to the first legislation in the European Union in 1965. Okay, Sometimes we forget right. there is a long, long pedigree before we got anywhere near to creating the European Medicines Agency. So we need to acknowledge it takes time to build trust and we need to be proactive. So the Director General, David, has spoken about the new DG and the leadership. It is incredibly important. The new DG is, is selected by the, the governing board. Is somebody who can actually create that trust in a, in a way which is sustainable. I repeat the word that David just used. The cooperation model between regulators must be agreed from the beginning, must be super clear and very transparent to make sure that everybody knows that their voice is taken into account. Boring things, money. We have to make sure that the, the financial system around AMA is clear from the beginning in terms of where are fees paid, who gets paid for their scientific services, how is the funding stream, et cetera. These things need to be clear from the beginning, not just postponed for the future. They come back and bite you if they're not clear about this. One of the things that David and I have, have spoken about in numerous forums before is really important. AMA begins with small, achievable steps. Find things that AMA can, almost like a sandbox, find things that can work, achieve it at the continental level, and then build on it in an iterative way. It's the huge temptation when there's so much need is to go in with a big bang project and uh, that's probably not the best way to go. Find something which is small, achievable, learn the lessons and build um, in an iterative way. Don't neglect the small stuff. So make sure that the admin things, the practical things like IT systems, like the staffing, 
all of the project management, the resource planning within the agency, make sure these things are embedded and done properly because we need AMA to work smoothly. And there's a huge talent pool. Just need to make sure the talent pool and the, the agency can operate properly. And one thing we haven't really spoken about is the stakeholder buy-in. So it's not just about the regulators. Uh, we've spoken about, about the African Union, about the national regulators, talk about the regional regulators. There's a whole collective of stakeholders who really want AMA to work. And so we need to make sure that there is a proper stakeholder engagement process from manufacturers, because we, we've managed to go through an entire podcast without talking about manufacturing in Africa. But we need to make sure across the whole value chain of, of healthcare systems and healthcare delivery, everybody buys in and is aligned on what AMA is and what AMA will achieve and how they can contribute. So Alberto, I think it's, it's also really important to know that from the 5th to the 9th of December, the African Medicines Regulatory Harmonization Initiative will have what is a really, really important meeting. It's only the third time that the AMRH has met in, the, in, this, in this configuration. And the reason this is so important is because it will hopefully be the last AMRH meeting before the African Medicines Agency is actually up and functioning and the doors are open. Some of the things that will happen during that week, the partnership platform. So this brings together all of the partners who are actively going to contribute to the African Medicines Agency and, the, and regulatory system strengthening across the continent. This, so the MRH partnership platform meets. We will have the discussions of the terms of reference of all of the technical committees that will make up the bones of um, the African Medicines Agency. And we also have the meetings of the heads of agencies uh, from the different uh, regions. So I think it's a really critical meeting to, and we'll set the scene for what's going to happen ahead of creation of the African Medicines Agency. So collectively, David and I have just uh, have just solved the whole conundrum of AMA in one single podcast, Alberto. You both have illuminated the situation in a, in a beautiful manner and certainly set us up for another podcast to talk about manufacturers and manufacturing in connection with Africa. And we'll keep that uh, certainly in our portfolio of future podcasts. I think we need to bring this to a close. You both have really provided a great number of insights into what is happening. I really feel like we're present at the dawn of something really important, really transformational for a huge continent with enormous healthcare needs and demands and challenges. And the, this new beginning is a supremely exciting one. We are proud at DIA to have published articles in Global Forum about the agency before it was an agency, before there was even a treaty. And we've had podcasts, including this one. So we're really very pleased to be playing a part in this and, and broadcasting it to others so that people can be aware of what is happening that is so exciting and so transformational and so at the very beginning of things. So I want to thank you both for being with us today. David, best wishes for the continued growth and success of AMA in Africa. Thanks again for all your efforts for this and on behalf of DIA Global Forum as well as editor for Africa, David. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And Martin, Martin, thank you so much for those nuggets of insights and wisdom on the small things. I like that, but critical. David, come on. I've, I've just, I'm just repeating the things I've heard from you in the past. Well, Martin, let me thank you as well for being present today. You've been at EMA for a very long time. You've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, it's a success story and a model, as you explained, for others to look at and consider. Thank you, Martin. Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you both you. very much. For the AA Global Forum, Thanks. I am Alberto Grignol. To learn more about this topic, visit us online at diaglobal.org.